Well, it looks like it's going to be UCLA once again in the Rose Bowl. After their blazing victory over the Trojans of USC. The fourth quarter touchdown pass UCLA a 21-18 victory for 85,000 fans. Here's an urgent flash from our newsroom. In New York City. Oh, my God. There's been a nuclear accident. From the activist archives through to the voices of resistance today. And I'd like to start the show today by acknowledging that we are broadcasting from Stolen Lands, the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. And I'd like to pay my respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging, and acknowledge that sovereignty has never been ceded. So this week on Acting Up, we are back to our regular programming. We've had a couple of weeks off over the January break, and it's great to be back in the studio today. For the last few months, of course, we have been doing a retrospective history series looking back at Friends of the Earth's history. As 2019 last year, we did celebrate our 45th birthday at Friends of the Earth. So inspired by that milestone, we've been bringing you this series, looking back over Friends of the Earth's 45 years of mobilising communities, resisting the oppressive forces from patriarchy to nuclear racism, and transforming our future toward a more just future for all. My name's Em, and today on the show we're going to be exploring the influence that Friends of the Earth's international network has played out over the development of our organisation here in Melbourne, and how we've collaborated more globally in our campaign work. So Friends of the Earth International is the largest grassroots network of environmental groups in the world, which is awesome. We have member groups in 73 countries across the globe. It's highly decentralised and it gives decision-making power and autonomy to the local groups. 
So we're united by the common conviction that environmentally sustainable development requires strong grassroots activism and international and national campaigning. So the international organisation itself was founded in 1971 by groups in France, Sweden, England and the USA. And today we're going to be speaking with people who've been working as a part of developing and maintaining the network at an international level over the years. So joining me in the studio is one of our current Friends of the Earth international liaisons, Sam Cossa-Gilbert, and he's currently the coordinator for economic justice and resisting neoliberalism in the Faux International Network. We also have Lee Tan joining us by phone, who has a long history of working within Faux International. And we're also going to be playing an interview that I did earlier today with Peter Hayes, who helped to set up Faux Australia and was at some of those early meetings in the international network in the sort of early 1970s. So stick around, it's going to be a great show. We're covering the history of campaigns and the politics of the time over our 45 years of campaigning here in so-called Australia, what we did and why it's still important. It's going to be a great show. Stick around after this community service announcement. I just think that it's ironic that the state of Victoria want to treaty with Aboriginal people but have no issue in destroying our sacred sites. War is devastating on the environment. In peacetime, the military is a huge user of fossil fuels, a huge driver of nuclear energy and ultimately the architect of nuclear weapons. Subscribe to 3CR in 2019, fighting for social justice and environmental change. And to all the people that are so afraid of the solutions to climate change that they choose to live in denial instead, the current solutions to the climate emergency are much easier to cope with than the outcomes that will come if we don't. Feed Radical Radio. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 94198377. Follow, follow the sun in which way the wind blows. You are listening to 3CR. This is Acting Up. And we're doing a history series on Friends of the Earth and the work we've done campaigning over the last 45 years. This week, we're looking at our network that goes beyond the work in so-called Australia and looking at the international context for some of the work that we've done. So on the phone, I'm speaking with Lee Tan, who was involved with international work at Friends of the Earth. How are you going, Lee? Thanks for joining us. Good. Very good. I'm from the Smokies Haze. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty awful today. Hope you're staying out of it. So when did you first get involved with Friends of the Earth? Oh, I can't even remember, probably in the mid-90s or even late 80s when I was first fresh out of uni. Yeah, great. And what was the political climate like at the time that you got involved with Friends of the Earth? Um, Sorry, can you repeat that question? I got distracted. Sure. So what was the... Sorry. No, that's Mm. okay. So what was the political climate like at the time when you started to get involved? Um, I think at that time, things are beginning to go global. Um, we're starting to look at some of the global players, um, like, you know, the financial institutions, um, you know, that's post-free um, trade agreement mm-hmm. period. So there's a lot of um, kind of globalized campaign. We will look at financing of projects that are controversial and ecologically unsustainable. And yeah, and and doing a fair bit of work uh, with our Pacific neighbours in um, Papua New Guinea, um, yeah, and Timor's just got its independence, and Indonesia's post Suharto era, and and I think at that time Australia had reasonable capacity. And a lot more political, well, I wouldn't say political support, but a lot more public interest in such issues. Mm. So would you did you sort of get um, involved from the start of your time at Friends of the Earth working in that kind of global context, would you say? No, actually, I've started off doing more Australian-based campaigning mm-hmm. in mining, in the mining sector, uh, particularly with um, First Nation communities in the far north um, Queensland. Uh, yeah, and I mean, personally, I have been involved with the Melbourne Rainforest Action Group. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, as people, some listeners might know, they have been blockading uh, timber 
um, carrying uh, vessels from Asia, particularly tropical rainforest timber. Into, uh, yeah, mm. so that that was my introduction to the environmental movement. Yeah, um, yeah. Mm. So, and then I started to develop an interest in the logging dynamic and politics. And personally visited Sarawak and linked up with the indigenous community affected and, and those who had put up blockades and, mm. stuff and, and so on and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. So it seems like sort of the campaign work you were doing did kind of naturally have some of those links to the global issues, like as you go into Absolutely. them a bit for that. Yeah. And how yeah, and also because I was born in Malaysia. So I, I guess, you know, inevitably I, I've already got that international, global connection, I guess, mm. if you can say it that way. Yeah, yeah. sure. And so when, when like, you through your work at Friends of the Earth, what, what got you thinking about more the global context? Like, what got you into more being involved in the mm-hmm. Friends of the Earth international space? Yeah, well, I guess it's uh, the role of Australia um, through our development programs. Uh, we influence many of the so-called development aid assistance. Uh, countries like Papua New Guinea, Indonesia, and to some extent, Istimo, um, uh, and also our trading links with countries like Malaysia. Uh, and also, at that time, Friends of the Earth International, uh, you know, they they interested to explore more about global trade and global financing in the Asia-Pacific region. Mm. Um, and so, you know, I just happened to fit in that dynamic at that time of, and was able to link uh, 4i with, um, you know, country like Papua New Guinea, Timor, uh, yeah, and so on and so forth. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and so in when, you know, stepping outside of your Friends of the Earth Melbourne kind of campaigning work, so what kind of work have you done in the Friends of the Earth international context? Particularly uh, before I, um, yeah, on forest campaign first mm-hmm. and then later quite for quite a few years, we focus on international financial institutions, looking at World Bank financing of uh, forestry industry in Papua New Guinea mm. uh, and then also on the Asian Development Bank financing of palm oil mm. uh, also in Papua New Guinea. Um, later we look a little bit into World Bank's role in structuring Istimo development agenda uh, when it gained independence uh, and then much later um, we were looking at forest carbon, or what we call RAD uh, plus, which mm. stands for reducing emissions through uh, deforestation and forest de- degradation. Um, in Indonesia, we were looking more at Australia's financing of a particular RAD plus project and also looking at the global, both yeah, a pr- public and private financing of this kind of like not very effective but very market-oriented um, emission, well, they call it emission reduction, but scientifically, it is a kind of offset that works uh, more for accounting purposes mm. than scientifically, effectively, you know, reducing in emission. Mm. Yeah, it's really interesting to hear you speak as well because I think that, you know, Friends of the Earth is a really grassroots organisation and that's a really special way about how it works. But it seems like at the international context, you know, we do get that chance to kind of have a big overarching look at how some of the big players are interacting and kind of exerting a global influence over countries. Yes, totally. Um, Yeah, in Australia, Friends of the Earth works very grassroots, and I like that a lot. You know, I used to go to forest blockades and, you know, we did freeway blockades and did all sorts of very, very uh, hands-on groundwork. So it was also very interesting to, you know, do the lobbying work and feel Mm. quite battled sometimes, although we did have some small wins, but by large, you know, structurally uh, international financing and um, has a lot to do with the kind of um, economic structure that we're seeing uh, in both developed 
well, industrialized country and also developing countries. Mm, absolutely. And so mm. in your work in the international context, have you noticed some differences in the way that Friends of the Earth Australia compares to some of the other Friends of the Earth groups in the area? Oh, yeah, quite different, I guess. Mm. Um, I think the European groups, because in Europe, um, the level of democracy, if you want to say it that way, or citizen participation or civil society participation is much higher and is respected. Mm. Um, whereas in Australia, I think it's really challenging trying to go to Canberra, the lobby. I've done a lot of that, both through, you know, for FOE and also for ACF when I was working there. Um, it's really difficult here because I don't think we're taken seriously enough. Mm. Whereas in Europe, civil society's input um, is by and large influential. And also they have a much more a stronger free and independent media. Whereas our media is very much controlled by Rupert Murdoch and his News Corp. Um, yeah, so that's kind of uh, what can I say? It kind of made our, our effort less effective at the national level. But, you know, we, I feel that we were taken more seriously when we engage at the regional, at the Asian Development Bank, or even World Bank level. Whereas mm. nationally within Australia, um, uh, Treasury and Aussie, um, yeah, and Department of Foreign Affairs, they kind of, back then, they tokenistically meet, uh, met up with us, but they don't really take our advocacy mm. as, uh, as, um, I guess, as um, strongly as what we could get, you know, at the international level. And it's getting worse, of course. Mm. Absolutely. Okay, well, we might have to end it there. Thanks so much for sure. joining us today, Lee. It's been really great to get oh, you insights. Welcome. Thanks. Okay, enjoy the rest of the speakers. Thank you. Who did you manage to get? I don't know. Take so we're going to be speaking with uh, Peter Hayes. Oh, I spoke with him uh -huh. earlier today, who was one of the founders Ooh. of Friends of the Earth Australia. And then um, we've got Sam Costa-Gilbert in studio, who's a current oh, international good. liaison. Good. And um, yes. then we'll also be speaking with someone, hopefully, from Friends of the Earth South Korea. Fantastic. Oh, all the best. Thanks, Lee. Okay. And we'll be back Ooh. after a quick break. Sure. Thank you. Bye. Hi, I'm Jeffrey. I'm Alphonse. I'm Erwin. And we, we are, are from, from the Voice of West Papua. The Voice of West Papua now has a one-hour show. We have moved from Monday 6.30 to Tuesday 6.30 until 7.30 p.m. Yes, more news and music from West Papua. You're listening to 3CR. This is Acting Up. My name's Em, and we're here celebrating Friends of the Earth's 45th birthday from last year, doing a bit of a retrospective history series on the organisation. Today we're looking at the Friends of the Earth International Network, and earlier today I spoke with Peter Hayes, who was one of the founders of Friends of the Earth Australia and has been involved in some of those big international conversations in the early 70s. So I'm going to play now an interview that I recorded with him. Hey, Peter, thanks so much for joining me today. Uh, it's wonderful to be uh, with you, and I hope the smoke isn't too bad. Yeah, it's, it's a not, not a great day. It's um, actually quite hazardous, so you've got to put the mask on. Um, yes, yeah, so it's a good time to be talking about Friends of the Earth and connecting with some of our histories of activism over the years. So you were involved in setting up Friends of the Earth Australia in the 70s, um, and that came out of Friends of the Earth starting up in other countries. So globally, what was happening politically that sparked kind of the creation of the Friends of the Earth network? Well, Friends of the Earth uh, specifically began in the United States um, when David Brower split from the Sierra Club when they would not support his stance against nuclear power. Uh, and then uh, in 1971, 72, 73, uh, he did outreach in Europe. Uh, there was a chap called Edwin Matthews in 
Paris, uh, who is a lawyer, an American lawyer, uh, who is operating across Europe, uh, and uh, set up Les Amis de la Terre um, in 19, must have been 72, uh, which I then worked with in 73 to organize protests against the French nuclear weapons tests. Mm. There for nearly a year to do that. And then in the UK, uh, Friends of the Earth UK was set up. Uh, Richard Sandbrook was a key person. And then Amory Lovins was just leaving Oxford to join Friends of the Earth full time as a, as a writer and thinker uh, about nuclear power. Uh, they were setting up Friends of the Earth in other countries, particularly in Europe at that time. Uh, and there was an enormous difference in style between uh, the American and the European, and in, in addition between the UK model and the French model. There was tremendous diversity, and that was mm. really, um, I think, uh, just a, one of the things that branded Friends of the Earth was that openness to different national cultural political styles. Les Amis de la Terre, for example, was being coordinated by Brice Lalonde. Brice Lalonde had been the president of the Sorbonne Students mm. Association during the uh, 1968 uprising. So yeah. he was a very experienced political operator in uh, grassroots mobilization, an extremely politicized context, whereas the UK was much more the professional model. Let's do the deep professional, scientific, ecological analysis, participate directly in the policy process. And then, you know, the American style was, again, very much uh, aimed at policymakers, but was much more about uh, mobilizing people using ideas and, and uh, particularly visual imagery to save wilderness, which is a very specific concern. Hmm. The Americans, all this was uh, came together uh, in it would have been October 1974 at the first meeting of the UN Environment Program after the Stockholm Conference on uh, the Human Environment in 1972. Uh, that set up UNEP, the UN Environment Program, and it was created and had its first governing council meeting in Nairobi, Kenya. Uh, and there was an NGO forum, non-governmental uh, forum associated with that. Friends of the Earth was one of the prime movers. And at that meeting... Uh, Friends of the Earth International was actually created. Hmm. Uh, I happened to be there uh, for Friends of the Earth Australia at the time. Great. And so it, you know, it seems obviously even back to the very start, there was a real kind of, um, I guess, international exchange of ideas and that kind of thing. And you spoke about the um, the crossover of the different styles in the UK and France and the US. How did you find the Australian style of campaigning different to what was going on in those countries? Uh, you mean the Friends of the Earth Australia or uh, yeah. pre the Earth? So, yeah, so I guess, you know, in setting up Friends of the Earth Australia, you know, what, what were some of the differences in styles that were coming out as part of our campaigning well, I think we, we were much more similar to the French uh, than uh, the British or the American style at the time. Um, and uh, the reason for that was that Friends of the Earth in Australia really came out of a confluence of the post-Vietnam peace movement, uh, the early days of the anti-Uranium, anti-nuclear power movement, uh, uh, and the land rights convergence uh, with that issue. Uh, with the uprising of many local campaigns that began in 72, 73, 74 with the Green Band movement. Mm. So there was a hard left in Australia, uh, which uh, was a sort of counterpoint to uh, the kind of social movement organizing that we were doing on a networked basis in Friends of the Earth. But it also meant that we were thinking in much more radical terms than the American Friends of the Earth, which was really a rather liberal um, uh, uh, organization uh, mm. aimed at, at, at wilderness politics primarily. Um, we, we took the, the issue of, of scientific and professional analysis seriously in the early days of Friends of the Earth, often surprising our adversaries because we ended up sometimes knowing much more than the proponents of a particularly bad idea um, knew, and they were 
ambushed by us because of our professional competence and the people we brought in. But we were really deeply committed to having a devolved network that could not be actually suppressed uh, and just put out of business. Uh, so we very carefully kept the autonomy of Friends of the Earth from the traditional left uh, and from ACF, which we thought was a very important uh, organization which had been taken over by the Lake Pedder activists, which we were part of at the time. Uh, we were in Canberra at the time when when uh, the old guard was thrown out and new guard was put in. Mm. Uh, but I remember having debates with Lee uh, with Lee Holloway in Hobart after that occurred about, you know, he said, why do we need a Friends of the Earth when we now have an ACF? And I said, well, basically... You know, ACF is a centralized organization. We need to really uh, be decentralized and unstoppable and keep on being like a knife pressed against the future uh, and creating openings through which others will follow and then move on. We don't need to perpetuate ourselves at any specific site or location. And I think that's pretty much what happened, although there were many, you know, stop starts and backwards sideways, I think, in a way that Friends of the Earth developed. And, of course, I wasn't around for very long, Emily. I left to go to Nairobi to set up the Environment Liaison Center in April of 75, and others took you know, mm. the leadership role at that point. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I think what you're speaking to is definitely something that, you know, we still see in Friends of the Earth structure. It's that solid base of kind of decentralized organizing and, um, you know, just kind of a prioritization of... Um, of grassroots communities and issues to the forefront that really still drives the work that um, that we do. Um, and so, you know, during your time, it seems like, you know, you did have a lot of connection with European Friends of the Earth organisations, the US. Had any other sort of, you know, regional Friends of the Earth sprung up around the time that you were involved? Well, I actually went on my way back from organising in France in 73. Uh, I went to Thailand and... Uh, uh, found an activist organizer uh, who had actually taken on the generals at the time who were running the country. Uh, they'd gone on a buffalo shooting spree from a helicopter. Um, anyway, he, he, he became the appointed uh, representative of Friends of the Earth Thailand. Uh, we also connected with people in Penang who set up Malaysia, uh, mm. and we um, supported the group uh, that was emerging self-started uh, in New Zealand at that time. So there was a lot happening. And, of course, there were sister uh, organizations or networks, the Project Jonah, uh, the anti-web movement. Um, you know, we provided a lot of support. And there was crossover in personnel and campaigns. Uh, it was quite fluid. Uh, Greenpeace was not yet an organization at that time. So we organized the Greenpeace Action that uh, included people in Fiji, of course, Tahiti, uh, and in New Zealand. Um, but one thing I, I do want to emphasize is that in the, in the Carlton office, which was not even the Melbourne office at that early time, just at, at 59 MacArthur Place, there are a number of really important people. Um, one, of course, you had on your program recently, or two of them, uh, you know, uh, Richard Nankin, but most importantly, um, uh, let me think, uh, Neil, Neil Barrett. Yeah. But there are also two women who were absolutely critical at that time. Uh, one was Emma Moody, who had mm -hmm. sailed on the free uh, to Muraroa and then moved to Australia. Uh, Emma was a very powerful uh, personality who um, really moved people. She was absolutely passionate and committed. Uh, to the issues, uh, and she became full-time very quickly. And Alison Parks, who was a very quiet person, but incredibly, you know, had this steel-like determination to move mountains. Alison now lives in Launceston, uh, and I haven't seen her since probably 1977 or something. But yeah. she was also, uh, you know, as as important as anyone else in starting the the Melbourne office, and to the extent that the Melbourne office provided the support to the other emerging sort of mushrooming local groups all around the country, um, they were, uh, you know, absolutely critical. And, of course, uh, I think they, 
at that point, um, we had a commitment, I think, to feminist principles, but not yet the reality in the decision-making process that came after I left. We were still too anarchic at that point. Mm. Uh, people just basically acted in a collective manner and respectful manner, but we didn't have a, an explicit decision-making process. That came in the subsequent years after 76, 77, uh, and then Lee Holloway was very important, uh, along with, I think it was Mark Phillips, mm. as well as uh, the women who were involved, some of whom you had on the program recently. Yeah. Uh, and I, I'd say Lee is probably the most important person uh, in the environment movement to not yet be documented, uh, <laughs> because as you, I'm sure, know, he was also gay, mm -hmm. but he, he carried his uh, gay identity um, how can I say? It was just part of his backbone. It, 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 it was just assumed. And uh, he just got on with the job. And he was an incredibly competent political operator. And um, I think he made an enormous contribution that, mm. that at so many levels in Australia. Yeah, it's been really great to um, learn about his contribution um, by getting in touch with some people who were around in that time period. It seems like, yeah, he really contributed a lot to Friends of the Earth and the broader movement. That's right. And, and one of the things that, of course, happened when you have a, a network like this that is self-starting uh, and truly based on autonomy is there's a certain chaos, but there's also an enormous resilience. And and what then happens is that the different nodes in the network in Queensland and in all the different states work directly with each other. Uh, and they also go international in their own way. And that's been one of the principles that Friends of the Earth International has used to build a truly global strategy. Uh, and the other, I think, is is this notion that you really don't want to perpetuate an organization. You really want to take an issue, uh, frame it, and then I'll call it insinuate it into the minds and worldviews of other sectors, whether it's the unions, uh, whether it's the corporate decision makers, whether it's um, different social movements, and it should really just become part of their normal, you know, worldview. And mm. you don't need to stay very long harping away on an issue. You can just move on. And so it's the agility that comes with Friends of the Earth that I think has been a very important asset. You move on to formulate, reformulate the issue and all the linkages between that issue and the other issues. That's sort of social complexity uh, in play and effective, you can have from a very tiny organization uh, enormous ideational power because if you frame the agenda, you've won half the battle. Yeah. And uh, that happened many times. Uh, sometimes it's really easy. I have to tell you, we, we had a herpetologist, a frog specialist, walk into the office wow. in the early just unannounced. He was from Monash, mm -hmm. guy, and he said, the Mount Borbor frog, it's endangered, <laughs> and they're going to build a ski run right on top of it. What do we do? And so we said, calm down, sit down, write this up, and we drafted a letter to the minister's office, and a week later, the problem was solved. Wow. I mean, it was now, yeah. of course, you know, climate change, I don't know if the Mount Borbor frog is still even with us. Mm. Uh, given the dieback of frogs all around the planet. But sometimes things can just take someone paying attention for you know, a short time. But the long, grinding, hard slog of changing public attitudes and values um, is, I think, where Friends of the Earth you know, really shone in those days and where it does today. Mm. The, the, the current generation of leaders are fantastic, and we're so lucky to have them. Absolutely. And it's so great hearing kind of this, you know, um, it's almost like a dance between having this, you know, big international connected network, but then it's still always coming back to those local issues and that's still being really what drives the organisation and allows those collaborations to happen. And it's, it's a, a kind of amazing network that we've got going and hopefully, you know, we can continue to harness that for uh, sharing and collaborating as we go on in these um, trying times. Well, we might have to leave it there. Thanks so oh, much. Cool. Thank you for, for calling, and uh, yeah. I look forward to being in touch. And uh, I think the more you can 
bring out some of these old voices who may have seen a few things uh, as the wheel turns, um, the better, because there is some real wisdom in that in that experience and also uh, some lessons learned, some hard lessons that need to be articulated. And uh, it's not too late to save our tiny, lonely planet hanging in space, but it's getting down to the wire. We mm. really do act. Absolutely. And it's been so great to have your voice today. Thanks so much for joining us, Peter. Stick around. After this break, we will be back. Wear your Radical Radio colours in one of 3CR's new T-shirts. The bright new design comes straight from this year's popular Radiothon poster designed by Aisha Tufa. T-shirts cost $30 to pick up or $37 with postage. So drop into the station at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy. Call 9419-8377 to place your order. Or buy one online at 3cr.org.au slash shop. 3CR Radical Radio T-shirts. Get Get one one now. now. Love that promo for the great uh, 3CR show, Black and Deadly. This is Acting Up on 3CR, and we're doing a look at Friends of the Earth's history at the moment as part of the Acting Up series, looking back at the movements that made us. And today on the show, we're talking about Friends of the Earth's international organisational structure. On the line with me now, I've got Hai Lin from South Korea. Are you there, Hai Lin? Might try. So... <laughs> Hai Lin, are you there? Hi. Hi. How are you going today? Yeah, I'm very fine. Thanks so much for joining us. So you're a member of Friends of the Earth in South Korea. How did you come across the organization? Um, the Friends of the Earth in South Korea is the biggest and the powerful NGO in Korea. So at, at a local and then the international level as well, very famous NGOs in Korea. So... When I was in the university, I was, I always want to working on that kind of NGOs, like seeking for the environmental justice and social justice. So for me, it's very natural to choose to work on the Friends of the Earth South Korea. Great. And what are the main campaign issues that you focus on in South Korea? Um, we have been monitoring the Korean transnational companies which is doing their business overseas. Mm. Um, especially while they are doing their business, there are a lot of the human rights violations and um, environmental destruction issues um, came across. Mm. And then especially the uh, people on the ground, they are reporting, they are suffering to us, like how the companies are violating their land and their forests and water and, and etc. So we are trying to monitoring the what the Korean companies are doing in there and then responding with the regional and then the local NGOs as well. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, important work. And so, yeah, you mentioned that what you're doing is a lot of monitoring the sort of transnational corporations and obviously South Korea is part of the Asia-Pacific region. So what, what does your work with other Friends of the Earth groups look like? Um, at the international level, Nowadays, there are a lot of the, I mean, we are doing some kind of divesting the coal finance issue, mm-hmm. etc. cetera, uh, especially. So, for example, there are a lot of Korean companies which are one, which are wanting to invest the coal, coal in industry in Indonesia and then Vietnam, etc. So mm-hmm. we are working together to not to make the new coal, coal-fired power plant, etc. Mm. So, you know, like we are sending a letter together. We are um, doing rally in front of the embassies. And then, like, we are, uh, we are seeking for some 
Polish making, etc. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot of work to be done. So how do you feel that being part of the International Friends of the Earth Network impacts on the work that you're doing? I mean, it's very honored because, as you might know, the Friends of the Earth International is very um, powerful local grassroots NGOs network, which means they are representing the people's voice, especially the people's on the ground. Mm. So, yeah, I feel very honored to work with them at international and also regional and local level as well. Mm, absolutely. It's pretty, it feels really nice. I know recently we had the fires in Australia and received some um, really comforting words from people in the Friends of the Earth Network from around the world. And it's, you know, yeah. really nice to feel connected to people all over um, the world who are doing that work. Yeah. So how do you think that we can keep strengthening the international network and the work we're doing all together? I mean, um, it's not that difficult, I think. Mm. Because we are already working um, at we are we are already working uh, hard at the at the international level as well. Like for example, nowadays um, Australia has very serious crisis in terms of the deforestation and then the forest fires. So uh, the many the Friends of the Earth the international Friends of the Earth groups are um, doing something for helping the, this situation, like even for the Friends of the Earth South Korea, we are gathering the donations and then also we are having some um, rallies in front of the embassies as well. So yeah, we are um, contacting each other on a, daily, on a daily basis by email and then WhatsApp and et cetera. So we just keep doing our work together. Mm. I think it's not that difficult. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. It's really great to have that kind of broader international solidarity for our local issues so that we can kind of build that international power base. It's really great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Well, Hyland, thanks so much for joining us today. It's been really great to chat with you. Okay. Thanks for having me. No worries. We're going to go to a song. This one is called Calle 13, Latino America. This mm-hmm. is 3CR. And stick around. Up next, we're going to be speaking with Sam Cossa-Gilbert in the studio. Okay, bye. Puerto Rico, soy, soy lo que dejaron, soy todas las obras de lo que se robaron, un pueblo escondido en la cima, mi piel es de cuero, por eso aguanta cualquier clima, soy una fábrica de humo. Mano de obra campesina para tu consumo Frente de frío en el medio del verano El amor en los tiempos del cólera, mi hermano El sol que nace y el día que muere Con los mejores atardeceres Soy el desarrollo en carne viva Un discurso político sin saliva Las caras más bonitas que he conocido Soy la fotografía de un desaparecido La sangre dentro de tus venas Soy un pedazo de tierra Que vale la pena una canasta con frijoles soy Maradona contra Inglaterra, anotándote dos goles. Soy lo que sostiene mi bandera, la espina dorsal del planeta en mi cordillera. Soy lo que me enseñó mi padre, el que no quiere a su patria, no quiere a su madre. Soy América Latina, un pueblo sin pierna, pero que camina. Oye, tú no puedes comprar el viento.
río Tengo mis dientes pa' cuando me sonrío La nieve que maquilla mis montañas Tengo el sol que me seca y la lluvia que me baña Un desierto embriagado con peyote Un trago de pulque para cantar con los coyotes Todo lo que necesito Tengo a mis pulmones respirando azul clarito La altura que sofoca Doy las muelas de mi boca, mascando coca, el otoño con sus hojas desmayadas, los versos escritos bajo la noche estrellada, una viña repleta de uva, un cañaveral bajo el sol en Cuba. Soy el mar caribe que vigila las casitas haciendo rituales y agua bendita, el viento que peina mi cabello. Soy todos los santos que cuelgan de mi cuello, el jugo de mi lucha no es artificial porque el abono de mi tierra es natural. Tú no puedes comprar. over a very powerful song there that was Calle 13 with Latino America. And joining me now in the studio is Sam Cossa-Gilbert, who brought that song to us and is one of our international liaisons and works in the Friends of the Earth international space. So thanks for joining us on the show today, Sam. Thanks for having me. So how and when did you get involved with Friends of the Earth? I think it would be maybe... 12 or so years ago, I started with the Barma Milua Collective, a local campaign working on indigenous rights and forest protection that won um, a bunch of red gum protection uh, and joint management for traditional owners. And I was only volunteering a little bit and then actually went overseas to Latin America. And I was just in Argentina and I thought, oh, well, maybe I'll call up the Friends of the Earth there. And they had Friends of the Earth Argentina. It was a really small one with like just an office above a, a house. And I called them up and I didn't even speak very good Spanish. And they like welcomed me in. And then I somehow <laughs> managed to like, uh, to get to stay on their floor. So I slept on their floor oh, wow. for like <laughs> a month. And they had some event happening. And I was t- studying photography at the time. So I did photography and translation for them to English and wrote some stories for Friends of the Earth International, all as a volunteer. And this bus kind of came that was a singing bus about what the right to water and then we traveled around and yeah had a photo exhibition about people impacted by dams and it was really quite a quite an incredible experience yeah it's amazing to see that um you know the friends of the earth community really is global and that you can kind of find your people (laughs) anywhere with it so obviously you know you kind of just got drawn into that international space kind of by chance but you know you're still in that space right now so what kind of kept you working in the international level well, I went away for a long time and um, was doing much more local stuff as well and studied and only came back to the international work. I think I think if we look at environmental problems, a lot of them are really global in nature, whether it's who's funding a coal mine to where the wood that we're chopping down here in Victoria is going to who's most impacted by climate change. A lot of the environmental problems are really global in nature and I've always been drawn to that. Um, to the yeah, international solidarity. And I think Friends of the Earth has a really powerful message around from the local to the global. Um, and, yeah, that's why. Mm, great. And so we've talked to a few people today who have been involved with international work. And obviously, you know, we have our local group, our national, and then we have the Faux International Structure, and you work for Friends of the Earth International. So could you just describe to listeners, you know, a little bit about what the work is that Friends of the Earth International does? Yeah, so Friends of Earth International works a lot in international spaces. So that's the kind of UN climate cops, that's the maybe the G20, lots of United Nations spaces where the national group may not be working or have the capacity to work. So it's kind of, yeah, really trying to play that really international level. Um, and we do know in Australia now a lot of the debate um, is about Australia's commitments to the Paris COP. So these big international environment agreements or trade agreements really impact us at the national level, impact our environment, impact our rights. And Friends of the Earth 
key role is really working in that international space. I think the second thing that Friends of the Earth does is international is it provides a broad political overview for the Federation, um, which is really important to have a global perspective because here in Australia we are not the, the whole world. And I think, you know, hearing from our African colleagues about the impact of Australian mining companies or hearing from people in Europe about the development of renewable energy. Um, so it really gives Friends of the Earth International gives a much more international political overview and a political positioning that, that, that groups can can go through. Mm. I think also solidarity is a really important thing that the Federation provides and we've really had a lot of it recently from the bushfires just getting lots of messages and you heard from Lynn that Friends of the Earth South Korea is fundraising for bushfire impacted people. Um, that solidarity I think is really important in campaigning. A lot of the time it's tough. A lot of the time we feel like you're, you know, struggling to, to have a win and to know that other people are out there fighting the same fight and winning and to learn or when they're not winning to learn from them uh, I think is really important and mm. then the third the last thing um, that I think Frenzy Earth is really necessary for is 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 the more specific campaign, so some really strategic interventions. So being like, um, we need to focus on the Asian Development Bank or really trying to fill these gaps and sharing the knowledge and, and the skills between each other. Mm, it's kind of having that big, broad oversight so that then we can really drill down on the local level and kind of get get right in it with the local groups too, which I think is is really great. And one of the kind of um, main characteristics of the Friends of the Earth local groups is around our consensus decision-making and flat structure. How does that work at the international level? So not all Friends of the Earth groups would have a flat structure. A number would have a director, um, and not all would work with consensus. So many... At, but though at Friends of the Earth International really does try and work with consensus and a consensus model and a pretty non-hierarchical model. Um, but yeah, it's it's really different on different cultures, different places, um, and it can be challenging and it can be really rewarding. I think Friends of the Earth International, what I've seen is there's a lot of respect and understanding mm-hmm. for cultural diversity and perspective and really thinking you know, that someone in Bangladesh does know their own political situation differently. And I think people do come at because we have a shared values and have a shared political philosophy and theory of change around resist, mobilise, transform, around a need for system change, uh, around a need for justice. If, if we come at these kind of disagreements or disagreements over strategy, I think people come at it from, from quite a position of understanding and trying mm. to find common ground initially. Um, but yeah, not everything, not everything is by consensus. It's kind of, the international is a bit of like a modified consensus, but some yeah. other organisations are definitely a more voting or hierarchical as well. Mm. And so, what is the work that you're currently working on with Friends of the Earth International? Um, so I'm doing quite a bit of work around climate litigation at the moment. So working on um, a case uh, with Friends of the Earth Netherlands uh, to bring Shell to court for causing climate change, which is really exciting. That's been one of the priorities for Friends of the Earth last year. Mm. And that's a really exciting case because um, it's based on a precedent set in the Netherlands where the Dutch people took the Dutch government to court and won, one in the High Court, one in the Supreme Court, and it forces the Dutch government to uh, increase their emissions. And we've got the same lawyers uh, and the same argument, and we're bringing the case against Shell, which has actually contributed roughly the same amount to CO2 as the Dutch government or the Dutch state. Um, so if we could win that case, we would really set a, a global legal, a global legal principle principle um, for the operations of Shell across the world. So in Nigeria, Shell's are operating in Nigeria where they've caused massive harm in Brazil. Um, so yeah, that's one of the exciting ones. I also work a lot on trade policy and the trade in plastics um, and yeah, trying to control uh, and have better control and regulation on plastic waste. Great. And so, you know, you're obviously working at this kind of global level at times. How do you see the work that's happening at the global level kind of infiltrating or influencing the work that Friends of the Earth Australia does at the national or even the local level in Melbourne? I think the global really does impact the local a lot. If you look at um, just like the global climate strikes recently and the power of Greta, if you look at the feed-in tariff policy that we have here in Australia for renewable energy, if you look at national park protection, a lot of 
things that we have in strong environmental policy um, or solutions really come from looking at other people's solutions, replicating them and putting them in the national context. And I think also a lot of the negative things come from the international as well. If we look at the really reactionary authoritarian forces coming from overseas and how that empowers those voices here. So I think the global does play a big impact on the local and what we can really, um, yeah, what we can really do and, and dream of. Mm. And how do you think we can keep improving on our faux international network and solidarity? Um, I think that there's some real technical ways in terms of, you know, improving our communication, improving our skills, being more strategic. But I think really being more engaged in the international work and really feeling a lot of the time the international work, I think, at Friends of the Earth is in the staff or in the really key volunteers and not mm. not as much down at the supporter level or the member level. And I think it's really important that, you know, if you're working in Bayswater or if you're out in, in Perth, that you, you feel connected to this international network and it's not just centralised. Mm. Um, or if you're in the, a small, you know, in Friends of the Earth Indonesia has a thousand local groups. Um, and how do you connect, you know, those sort of people um, rather than just the centre office with the international work? Yeah, absolutely. And it's great. I mean, it's, you know, amazing that we've got all these people everywhere who are so engaged and it's just bringing it all together. Great. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining me today, Sam. It's kind of bringing us towards the end of the show. So I'd like to thank all of our guests for joining us today. Obviously, Sam in the studio, Lee, Peter and Hylin. And I'd also like to thank my co-producer, Megan, and everyone at 3CR who's helped us with making the show. As always, you can catch up with the show or any of the episodes we've had in the past. Uh, They're available to stream on demand at 3cr.org.au slash acting up. And, of course, if you think we've missed anything, give us a call or get in touch via the Friends of the Earth Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you. We're going to go out on a song. Sam, you've picked this one for us today. What's the song that you've brought in? This song is Tulak Reklamasi, and it's by um, some people in Bali, Indonesia. They ran a really successful environmental campaign that Friends of the Earth was part of, but also many other people and movements. They wanted to... Basically, there's a bay in Bali uh, that they wanted to just fill in entirely and make into massive hotels that would have really damaged the environment, the species, the local um, fishermen and communities. And the people really, really stood up and just ran this, like, incredible local campaign. If you go to Bali, you'll see these Tolakarakalmasi flags everywhere. It was like they did this incredible action where it's like 10,000 boats filling the bay from, like, they occupied the parliament, like this real social movement that won. And I think we don't hear a lot of those stories of the social movements winning from the global south and it was just this incredible social movement from like punks to school kids Um, and this is one of the songs that is like the theme song of the movement great let's hear it stay locked to 3cr coming up next we've got jan's tuesday home time thanks for joining us today Rencana reklus menjadi harga mati.